the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 40 of Magic Markets. I'm your co-host, The Finance Ghost. I'm joined as ever by Mohamed Nala tonight, but we are also joined by Nirina Fissa, and we're very excited about that. She originally appeared on episode four of Magic Markets, which is a nice reminder of, I suppose, how many of these we've done now since this is episode 40. So if we go with that trend, Nirina, your, your next appearance will be on episode 400, by which time I'm hoping EOH is maybe back to seven bucks instead of the the hole that it's fallen into you this week. And I've been banned from any making any more jokes about holes this week. So I'll now hand over to Mo to say hello. hello. Always a pleasure hosting this with you, Narina. Yeah, you know, Narina and I go back a long way. For those of you that, that aren't familiar with Narina, you know, go and check her out on Twitter. It's at Narina Fissa. You can check us out as well. It's at Mohammed Nala and at Finance Ghost. Um, Narina was on episode four. So if you've missed that one, you can go into our archives and check that one out as well. But today, I, I think what's important here is we always go we always promise our listeners that we like to scratch beneath the surface Uh, last week's episode was about etfs uh, exchange traded funds and how we use them in our portfolios and following the overwhelming response that we received on social media and on our respective platforms not just about the episode but also about some of the, the the quirks that maybe we didn't touch on or that maybe we were just a little too superficial on there was a request for us to scratch beneath the surface as we always promise and narina's very kindly agreed to come on the show let's unpack some of those concepts uh, i want i'm so excited i just want to get stuck right in so i, I would say let's 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 have a go if, if I, thank you very much, guys. It's wonderful to be back with both of you. Um, Ghost, I'm not sure if, if the next one is going to be maybe 444. So I think we best to make sure we get the most out of this one. But, you know, Mo, you will remember years ago when you and I worked together, I coined the phrase at the time. It was an alternative interpretation of the term WYSIWYG. Now, for those of our listeners, of your listeners who are as old as I am, would know that WYSIWYG actually stands for what's it, uh, what you see is what you get. And I said, when it comes to ETFs, it's about what's inside is what you get. And so I love this idea of scratching the surface, lifting the hood, having a look inside, because ultimately that's what determines what type of investment performance I can expect from this thing that is really just an investment instrument. And ETF is really just an instrument that allows you to transact and get exposure to a broad array of investment strategies, exposures, and so on. So yeah, let's get stuck into a different form of WYSIWYG. <laughs> so Narina, the ET part of ETFs and, and all of that, you've said to us, this is about access. So what does that yeah. actually mean for the average investor? What do you mean by this is about access? 
So when you think of the ET part, it, it is about exchange traded, which means you are necessarily here dealing with a listed security, something that you will buy via a stock exchange. So what I'm saying in terms of access, this is something I'm going to be buying in my stockbroking portfolio, or I'm going to be buying it via my investment platform that has a stockbroking access in terms of that. Now, the power for me in terms of that is, is there's a multitude of, of benefits, but the one that I want to focus on is that traditionally a stockbroking portfolio will most likely only consist of domestic equities, your local market shares that you will be buying in a stockbroking portfolio. By using ETFs, exchange traded securities, you are able to bring a much broader array of investments into your stockbroking portfolio. So this could be other asset classes like bonds, property, even things like commodities, for example, but it also allows you to bring global exposure, for example, into it, other regional exposure. And so for me, that's where the power lies, that within my normal original stockbroking portfolio, I now have the power to diversify my portfolio holdings significantly away from just local shares, local equities in my portfolio. Yeah, I mean, Noreen, I think that's very important. I mean, something we had tried to highlight on on the previous show, certainly from my side, was how I I like to use ETFs or exchange-traded products that give me exposure to those alternative asset classes. I mean, quite often, you know, not everyone can trade in a bond ticket size at a million bucks. Uh, So ETFs, ETNs, are very valuable components of a portfolio. We also touched on some of the commodities components. But, But something that perhaps was also lost in the discussion is that, you know, and, and it came out in some of the discussion that we then had on social media thereafter, which is that one of the key benefits of using an exchange-traded product or fund or even a note is that you get a very wide diversity of underlying securities and that those securities are effectively rebalanced according to whatever rule set they map to uh, without you needing to go and do that rebalancing yourself. Now, the reason I want to highlight this is that it's it's so vitally important because not everyone has the ability to sit and watch their portfolios in this minute degree of detail. Uh, quite often, they're happy to take conceptual broad strokes in terms of ideologically where they want their portfolio to go, the types of exposures they want, uh, and then they put it in place and let it do its thing. So in many ways, you know, ETFs, ETNs, uh, and ETPs in, in aggregate are also supporting, I guess, uh, a a much longer-term investor-styled narrative rather than a a more trading-orientated narrative. Now, where I want to go with this is, A, can we unpack some of that underlying, you know, how the rebalancings occur and so forth, but more important than that is the intent is certainly to spur investor behavior and longer-term decision-making, yet, given the proliferation of these products that we've seen globally, and again, we can, we can, create that dichotomy between global markets and South African markets, do you think that's where it's gone? Or do you think that this thing has run away from it and has become just more instruments for people to trade on a much more active basis rather than taking a long-term investing lens? So most certainly it has the the potential for that. And there are many people that do use exchange traded products quite actively in trading strategies. And nothing prevents you from doing that, especially when the underlying investment is more aligned to sort of a single security type of thing. So maybe a single stock ETN or maybe a single commodity, for example. So the minute that you're going to a simple single underlying security, the price movement of that in overall product is going 
going to be a lot more um, responsive and therefore allows much more for trading strategies. Whereas when you start going to more diverse baskets, indices, groups of investments, that lends much more towards investment strategies where you're buying into this, this theme, this trend type of exposure that you want. But I think one of the major benefits that you get through, and I'm going to use the term index tracking funds rather than just ETFs in this context, is one of the nice things about, especially when, when you want to use ETFs and index tracking funds more as, a, as an investment strategy, is the style persistency, the consistency with which that exposure is applied. The index rules basically determine what will sit in an index tracking portfolio, whether it's good or bad, in favor or out of favor or whatever, doesn't matter. It is true to its style. And that's the power, I think, for the investor that actively chooses a particular type of exposure, whether that exposure is an investment strategy or a geographical exposure or a payoff profile or whatever that, that, that sort of exposure is that you're looking to get through your, your index tracking fund. There's consistency, there's persistency in terms of that style. And so as an investor, you can know that if I chose this particular ETF for this particular investment strategy and style that I'm getting, it's always going to give me that. And when I choose that I no longer want to be exposed to that strategy, I actively choose to move away from that strategy. But that strategy is going to stay consistent within that particular index tracking ETF. And that for me is incredibly powerful. Yeah, that, that certainly resonates with me at the moment, having worked through my portfolio the other day and felt quite nauseous about some of the things that I've managed to do to it in the past six months. Uh, the, pl the plumber's taps were, were leaking a little bit. So anyway, I, I actually intended to sort that out today and then I opened the AdCorp uh, uh, bid offer spread and then I closed my computer because then I was even more upset about <laughs> the pain. I mean, AdCorp's done well, but by the time I've you know walked through a bid offer spread the size of the moon, um, I may as well uh, not bother. So anyway, with all of that out of the way, Mo, I found it interesting earlier that you mentioned you need a million bucks to invest directly in bonds. So what you've now confirmed for me, there's a son at the moment in South Africa, your old land, called I'm not a bully I'm a baller which now I think applies to you fully um so you know I didn't even know that you need a million bucks to invest in bonds but you've now outed yourself as a as a baller and not a bully uh, Nerina what I wanted to ask you is uh, ETFs versus ETNs so yeah. I'm not sure that people properly understand that they actually have very different risks don't they because my understanding yes. which is basic at best in this space is where it's an ETN there's a bank that has created this product and you're facing that bank's balance sheet. So mm. if I'm not mistaken, there are a couple of ETNs in the market. I think it was first round. I could have the bank run, but they reference US listed single stocks. I think there's one for Tesla and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there your risk, you're facing the bank. Technically, yeah. if the bank fell over, I mean, your, your money is gone at an extreme. Isn't that yeah. true? Absolutely right, Ghost. So I think what is important here is to differentiate, and I'm going to speak specifically here from the South African perspective. And by the way, this is the perspective for most of the world, except for the US. The US is actually the one that's a bit of an exception in, in terms of this. So the major difference between an ETF and an ETN is really that in the case of an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, there is a physical basket of underlying securities that actually belongs to the investor. So that's your recourse as an investor. Not only is the performance guaranteed in the sense that it will follow the value of that underlying basket of securities, but you actually have a claim on the ownership of that. 
Whereas in the case of an ETN, what you're really getting is a promissory note from an issuing bank that says, we, good bank, promise to pay you the performance of the reference asset. Now, that reference asset could be something as, as benign as an inflation-linked bond, for example, or it could be something as extreme as a highly volatile single commodity, for example. So there's definitely the risk of the underlying investment, but the difference between the ETF and the ETN lies in the credit risk, as you rightly pointed out. Is this a major risk? No, actually it's not. For the simple reason that the, that the, the, the listing, so the JSE, for example, will only allow really big, large, well-capitalized banks to be issuers of ETNs. And so whether you have an APSA ETN or an APSA savings account, actually your credit risk is exactly the same. So yes, there's an additional risk. But let's put that, that additional risk sort of in, into context. Yeah, I, I want to jump in here. I mean, I find it interesting. So, so again, maybe, Narina, you can, you can educate me in terms of, of how things have evolved down in the South African market. But I'm, I'm going to use an example. So many, many moons ago, and I was still working in the private clients uh, area of one of the, the banks down in South Africa, uh, they had listed a structured product. So it wasn't exchange traded. And, and maybe that's the distinction. So I want to just get to that. And the reason I remember this very distinctly is that you had a choice. So you had a payoff profile that was tied to a, um, a capital guarantee that was uh, a note from this particular bank. And then obviously your payoff profile tied to a basket of commodities to the upside. Okay. You, you as the client also had an option to get the same note that was then guaranteed by an international bank. And I'm going to tell you who that international bank was because it is no more. <laughs> and the irony, and same payoff profile on the commodity basket. And the irony is a lot of clients went for the international bank because it was the perception. Lo and behold, these, that note was structured for a five-year term. And in those five years, the international bank, infamously known as Lehman Brothers, uh, was no more. Now, the South African yeah. bank in question eventually stepped in and made good on the capital guarantee. So they, they took the Lehman's exposure on the chin, uh, which is good. Thanks, thanks, to, uh, thanks to them for doing that. Because the fact of the matter is, if the investor read the prospectus and knowingly taken on that credit risk, that credit risk was the investors to wear. So now when we look at how things have evolved, this was 15 plus years ago, right? How have things evolved in South Africa? Oh, that old? Wow. <laughs> how have things evolved in South Africa uh, in terms of exchange traded product? Who's allowed to underwrite? You know, are there capital guaranteed exchange traded products? Who's allowed to underwrite that risk? Is it just South African banks? Or can South African investors be sitting with this, this kind of lurking risk? Um, you know, that, that's what I'd be interested in right now. So, Mo, yes and no. So, can South African investors be exposed to, to credit risk other than just South African banks? Yes. Some of the exchange-traded notes on the JSE are actually issued and underwritten by UBS, so a Swiss bank in terms of that. So, yes, there is the potential for that. But where I say no is that is exactly where the beauty of exchange-traded products come in because the JSC listing requirement says that there has to be a market maker for every exchange traded product. So it is your ability to trade in and out of these instruments intraday every single day that gives you that added benefits. Now granted, if Lehman Brothers or UBS, God forbid, or any other issuing bank goes belly up 
overnight or over a weekend outside of normal market trading hours, yes, there's theoretically the potential that the investor would be left with, you know, out of pocket. But in practice, you often see these sort of things coming. And if you feel that there's a rising and increasing risk in terms of the credit exposure of the issuing bank, you are able to trade out of that product at, may I add, the net asset value. And that's very powerful. And we'll come to why the net asset value is, is, is actually available to investors in exchange-traded products. But you're able to trade out of that position intraday, every single day, as long as the JSE is open and operating. Why is the net asset value actually available to you? So let's start with ETFs. In the case of ETFs, because these are physically backed, physically held securities in that basket, we also in South African ETFs have the ability for what is called creation and redemption in specie, which means an investor can actually deliver a basket of physical securities to the ETF issuer and say, here are the 40 companies that 40 securities that make up the top 40 index. Here I'm delivering this to you. Please give me an exchange for that, the ETF units. Or here is the gold bars that make up the gold ETF. Give me the, and vice versa. You, oh, sorry, you can't receive gold, but yeah, you get my point that there is the ability to, to create and redeem in specie, which means that if the ETF was going to trade away from the net asset value of that underlying basket of securities, it's an arbitrage opportunity that is created, which can immediately be closed down. Mo, you will remember from your investment banking days, arbitrage opportunities is never something that perpetuates. So, so in terms of that, you know that intraday, you can actually get out of that position at the net asset value, given the bid offer spread that is around there. But that bid offer spread, you know, shame, you talk, uh, Ghost, you were talking about the, the, the bid offer spread in terms of ad corp, for, for, for example you're not gonna find that type of bid offer spread in exchange traded products because you've got a market maker that sits there. It's not about individual investors who are sitting there and are saying, sorry, Mr. Ghost, you wanted to sell your ad corps at what price? <laughs> Come find me 20% away from the last traded price. And, and, and that is the difference of having an instrument, an exchange traded product that has a market maker that facilitates this transacting, both buying and selling, which you don't have in individual securities. It's guaranteed liquidity on demand. And that's incredibly powerful in this day and age. Yeah, Lehman Brothers was not too big to fail and Mo's balance sheet isn't too big to fail no matter what he thinks, but my ad corp spread is definitely too big to fail. I'm not sure what I'm going to do there, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> And the other thing that I find interesting is you know, the ETN risk is there facing a bank yeah. like UBS, for example. But people might say, oh, I don't want to face UBS. But then they'll go and pile their pensions into, you know, Nuspas, which is basically a double backflip into a VIE structure into China, which, I mean, by all accounts, <laughs> is definitely worse. So, you know, it's all about assessing, yes, there is risk. How real yeah. is that risk? I mean, horror stories happen, but I guess banking has also come a really long way since 2008. Yeah. Uh, I, I just... And have we had any banking collapses since then? I can't actually think of any offhand. Not in South Africa. I think African Bank was the last one yeah. in South Africa. And they, and they were not an ETN issuer, by the way. <laughs> yeah, just going back to it, Noreen, I mean, one last question, I guess, on that, on that particular technicality is, is your market maker compelled to make a double that is, you know, a bit off a spread that is 
a certain percentage wide. You know, what stops the market maker from widening that? Uh, also, what happens to the market maker? Again, maybe for the benefit of the listeners, what happens to the market maker should they not be getting good price exploration on their hedge in the market if the market moves away from them in an adverse uh, event, you know, do they then pass that through? Surely that reflects through to the nav fairly quickly. But is that then a, a live nav or is it an end of day nav? You know, those kind of technicalities I think are very important for investors to understand, mainly because a lot of investors are new to this exchange traded space. And I, you know, what we're all about here on Magic Markets is educating people so that they know exactly what they're getting into, uh, and so that they can empower themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So my very, very good and very important questions, I think in terms of that NAV, when we differentiate between, for example, exchange traded funds, which are also gov governed by the FSCA, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, so where they are also registered as collective investment schemes, CISs, unit trusts, really. Yes, within the deed of that particular ETF and that particular unit trust, they, they typically have there a maximum spread, and that would be concurrent with the liquidity of the underlying. Typically, we don't have ETFs on illiquid underlying. That's part of the check process of specifically the JSE and to, to some extent the FSCA as well. So normally that, that allowable spread is relatively limited. When you start looking at, and I think that's what's important for the investor to understand, just almost use your common sense that says to you, if it's nine o'clock in the morning in South Africa and I'm looking to be buying a US-based investment product, the US market is not open. Can I expect the market maker to give me a really narrow double on an underlying market which is closed? No, I can't. This guy's trading on risk. So expect those doubles to be wider during the time when the underlying market is closed. Come 3.30 in the afternoon in South Africa, different story. Sorry for you if it's winter time, it's 4.30. But the point being there that consider the underlying market and whether the underlying market is actually providing you with live intraday net asset value, in which case you're definitely going to find the spread to be narrower. So as a trader, as an investor, consider what the instrument is, the underlying asset is that you're buying, and make sure that you do your transacting during a time when there's a live, vibrant market in the underlying, because then your likelihood for getting narrow spreads is infinitely better than probably five past nine on a Monday morning in South Africa. So Nerina, shockingly, we are running out of time because we're having so no, much fun no. talking about this stuff. But I've got one more question for you, at least from my side. Urban legend has it that you've never bought a single stock and you've only ever invested in ETFs all your life. <laughs> Firstly, is this true? And secondly, uh, is it true today? Do you really, genuine question, like do you basically just do ETFs or do you still dabble in a bit of individual stock picking? I'm really curious. Oh my goodness, Ghost, now you're forcing me to disclose my age because when I did my first investing, never mind the fact that it was some horrible TV dinner compound product of an insurance company. Let's move on from those very deep, dark days. Um, yes, I unfortunately started investing before um, ETFs were even available in South Africa. So there you know, it's been more than 21 years because that's how old ETFs are in South Africa. So yes, in those dark early days before I knew better, I did actually invest in some individual um, stocks. Where I stand today, I can honestly, hand on my heart, admit to you that every single cent that I have invested is in an exchange-traded product. There is one exception to that, and that's cryptocurrency. 
And it's a very small part of my overall investment portfolio, but cryptocurrencies are not yet readily available in exchange-traded product format in South Africa. It will come, but it's not quite there yet. And so that is the only exception to my entire investment portfolio that is not exposed and invested in exchange-traded products. Hand on the heart. <laughs> Serena, if you're if you're an investor up here in Canada, you, you it would warm your heart, and I I know you're aware of this that Canada was the first place in the world where there was an exchange traded fund that allowed you to invest in Bitcoin, and uh, the crypto ecosystem up here is rather fascinating and well developed. But that's a topic for for another day. <laughs> Sorry uh, to break say, the news I, to I, you, Mohammed, but unfortunately they were not the first. There was actually exchange traded funds listed in in Switzerland actually before Canada. But yes, Canada certainly ahead of the U.S. and yes, also still not in the in the, in in the South Africa. But it will come. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. When these, it's when these guys immigrate and then they keep trying to remind us that Canada is the greatest country in all the world. And uh, sorry, Mo, you have to think of something better. Yeah, no, I, and, and Narina, thanks for pointing that out. I'm, I'm going to then just re rewind and say the first country in North America because that narrows it down to us and our southern neighbor. <laughs> I was just going to say that, isn't that where the World Series is played anyway? So in your, in your context, that is the world. So yeah, you're, you're right, Mo. It was the first in the world, <laughs> in your world. <laughs> uh... Sorry, on, on that point, uh, personally, I, I'm pretty impressed i mean having every cent of yours in uh, in in etfs is, is certainly you know uh, walking uh, walking the talk and talking the walk whichever way that goes about um i'm certainly not as as enlightened in, uh, as that because i i kind of we, we discussed this on the last show you know we kind of blend active stock picking uh, along with uh, exchange traded funds uh, it's it leads me to my last question i know you know ghosts already given us the warning on time but you know, I think it's an important distinction in terms of, and and in some of our, our offline chats here, you said that all investments are active, uh, and you know, maybe talk us through how that squares with the ETF discussion we're having today. Very, very important. I'm, I'm I'm very happy for us to finish our discussion on this topic also because it's absolutely the case. All investments are active. There's an active component to every single investment. The question is, what do you select? actively. And I think for most people, when they start their investment journey, they actively select individual securities, individual stocks more often than not, and think that that is the only form of active investment that one can do. I'm of the opinion that by actively selecting geographic exposures, asset class exposures, um, global macro trends, specific commodities where there's, uh, you know, sort of where, the, 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 where I identify the future trends in terms of investment. For every single one of those, I can identify, you know, there's a show in the US even that says there's an ETF for that. Well, yes, maybe they're not all in South Africa just yet, but there's an ETF for that. And so I start in my investment strategy by looking at what are the themes, the trends, the styles, the exposures, the asset classes that I want to invest in. And then I go and find where is the ETF for that? How do I actually exercise that invest, that active investment decision that I made? by implementing it through what some people back from the 1980s would refer to as a passive strategy. I prefer not to refer to it as a passive strategy. It's an index tracking strategy. The index tra tracking strategy gives me that 
consistency, that purity of investment style. Because if I want to invest in Peruvian small cap Sharia compliant mining stocks, then that's what I want. And don't give me anything else. I don't care if it's performing well or badly. That's what I identify to be my preferred investment exposure. And I know that if I invest in a Peruvian small cap Sharia compliance ETF, I'm getting exactly what I want. And for me, that's the power of active investments using index tracking products such as ETFs to exercise my very active investment choices. Ghost, we're going to go and have to go and look for a Peruvian Sharia compliant. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what that whole string was. <laughs> I made it up as I went along, but it's a good, I think it's a nice, no, don't you think that's a can't, great can't be worse. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm happy to have a look, truly. Um, so, Narina, I can't uh, take any blame for this 80s stuff because I was only two when the 80s finished. And uh, speaking of finished, I think we are finished because this has been a very, very cool show and we are out of time. It's always such a treat having you on. So we'll try not to wait until episode 400 or 444 or goodness knows what else. And uh, Mo and I will go in uh, and keep trying our hand at single stocks. And uh, who knows how we'll do compared to your very, very cool ETF portfolio. But that's the beauty of the markets is there's something for everyone. And that's why we try and cover as much as we can on the show. So really, thank you for joining us. Uh, Mo, do you want to say goodbye this week? Yeah, Narina, I think uh, you know it's been an absolute pleasure having you on on the show as ever, and uh, we look forward to having you again. Maybe show uh, maybe forty four is a little too close, but I am gonna go and look at for that show that says there's an ETF for that because I'm looking for that Peruvian Sharia compliant uh, ghost. Narina, it's been fantastic uh, to our listeners. Thanks so much always for your support. Remember, go out there. Uh, give us a great rating on the podcast uh, platform of your choice. Uh, spread the news. You know, Magic Market is out there for everyone. And we look forward to chatting to you again next week. Same time, same place. Thanks, guys. It's been a hoot. <laughs> Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.